Yeah, like after living in Canada half the time now. Oh, ew, wow, that's so weird. I haven't talked to you guys in years yet. Ben's like now like had some weird Canadian like affair. Quasi Canadian affair. It's Quebec. I mean <laughs> This is like now beef you're a part of, Ben. Wow. Welcome to episode nine of Podcast X. My name is Ben Kendrick, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hello, friends. I'm here. And special guest, Kofi Outlaw. I'm speaking closer to the mic in the hopes that it picks up better. <laughs> um, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. This week, we will be talking about Thor Love and Thunder, the divisive Thor Love and Thunder, which seems to have split the Marvel fandom in and uh, clean down the middle in terms Holy of people shit. that think. Are you already? Are you already trying to slide into the divisive? You need to stand by your thing, which is plastered everywhere that I have seen. <laughs> oh, you're part of the marketing machine now, Ben. Yeah, I know. I think. Yeah, this is Podcast X. Like, I don't know what you're about to say, the divisive. No, according to you and a name that I keep seeing everywhere, it is the best Thor film ever. I think it... This is what it... You have said this. You have promised this to the people. I believe... I I stand by it. I believe it. I still think it's the best Thor film. Um, And I'm someone who loves the first... I'm someone who loves the first Thor film. Obviously, the second one was just kind of a mess. I mean, we all know a lot of the behind-the-scenes details of that movie and why why that was the case. I think I do think Ragnarok was a like return to form and really kind of probably is my I would say is my second favorite one out of them. Um, just in terms of being kind of a more cohesive movie than the first one was, even though I love that fish out of water um, story. But I still I still enjoyed this one the most, I think. And I think what was lacking in Ragnarok was a bit of the heart that this movie at least attempts, even though sometimes maybe it doesn't land or there's some tonal tonal shifts. I still think it's as funny as Ragnarok with a bit more heart and a bit more like of a developed villain and um, other other pieces that I, I really enjoyed. And I really enjoyed seeing Natalie Portman back as as the Mighty Thor and, and everything. So I stand by it. I still think it's the best. I am interested in talking to you guys about like why Ragnarok was reviewed so high relative to this one. And if, you know, if it really is a better movie than Thor Love and Thunder, but I, I want to hear what you guys have to say first. But I have a theory about Ragnarok and why people love it so much. So I will... Uh, Okay, I I don't know. I'll toss it up. Who wants to go next? Kofi, you can you can do it up. I have a mouthful of popcorn. Go for it. I was <laughs> okay. To talk this soon. Oh, I'm jealous. I, I got you, man. You longer good. times. I, I'm very jealous. Is it flavored or buttered? What's going on there? No, nah, man. I'm like 40. It's like some skinny pop. Come on, man. Let's <laughs> not go down this. Way. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, but it's funny, man. That little intro, Benny, really takes me back to to the the us way back in the day talking about those 2011 superhero films. Do you remember that? We did like a little ranking and yeah. I think Ben, you said Thor. 
Kofi said Captain America, the first Avenger, and I was Team X-Men first class. Still waiting for those yeah, boys to join oh, the MCU, right. by the way. But um, yeah. but uh, although the I did prefer so at the time, I won that one again. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I mean, that, that, in terms of trilogies, you know, you did stand the, the test of time. One, yeah, the Cap one stood through, and, and and they're still going, just like Thor, um, which is exciting. We can talk about more the future of the MCU later. Um, but yeah, the first Thor I enjoyed, even though it's like maybe one of the two or three cheapest looking MCU films, but um, I was in it for the character stuff, right? I didn't care that they made a little tiny set in <laughs> Albuquerque or whatever to shoot that little town stuff and um, little tiny set for the Frost Giants and all that goofiness. And But uh, I, I quite enjoyed that for what it was in, in the early Marvel days when they're figuring their shit out. And, and, and uh, Age of, sorry, uh, The Dark World it was my first Marvel set visit. And to me is maybe the greatest top two production design uh, of the MCU, but the by far the worst story probably. It's like bottom tier Marvel, which is such a, you know, like you said, Ben, it was well publicized, but that was the movie we're on set. They brought in Alan Taylor from Game of Thrones, right, to do something serious and bring it back and make real sets and do it just like they do in GOT. There's HBO. a sad part of my career just tied to that, man. Yeah, man, and, and, and I never, the interview, I never forget, like he was so... Like the Hollywood thing was new to him, right? And he got infamous, infamously called out for making fun of James Gunn's crappy tag sequence for that film he shot publicly in interviews, and you know he broke that rule. But good on him because you know, that tag sequence did suck ass. Um, but also, he was like, "No man, do not knock that tag sequence. That was a big deal for us." <laughs> no doubt in London, and when I was actually Thor, you said it was like your first set visit. It was my first big premiere, like in interview junket overseas i went to london oh yeah for thor for thor the dark world and so i was the first person to see it and it was coming out the next day like stateside and i broke like the whole thing about the infinity stones and it and confirming the infinity saga that brought us a lot of traffic so no doubt that's true i mean in terms of that credit sequence in terms of setting up the gauntlet in the Infinity Saga, it was huge, but the, but the, you know, the, most of that theater of people were like so-called journalists and Marvel fans were like, what is this? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> clap, 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 clap. And it was like, <laughs> good before film Twitter kids. Like it was, Twitter yeah. was still yeah. in the nascent stages back then. Like this was just like people like, yeah, we were just smart enough to know what content to get up first and, you know, do that. And so, yeah, that, I mean, but yeah, it's uh, Alan Taylor. I had to do that with him and see poor Natalie yeah. Portman, which is going to frame my review. So let me throw that up there. Because I had to go through seven layers of security to get to Natalie Portman. But <laughs> once I did, you know, I found it was a very disappointed actress who was so just like, this is what me and Patty Jenkins didn't make a movie for, like this. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I have some bias towards this movie that we will get to in my review. But, uh, yeah, man, Alan Taylor, and I also had to do a Terminator Genesis set visit. So uh, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, poor Alan, and I'll, I'll say this last piece before we move back on to the movie at hand. But at the time, Alan Taylor was like very visibly upset and very honest with us, saying he has no idea what story he's making, and he said to us. And I have the transcript for it, like day to day. He doesn't know which characters he's allowed to use, which ones he can't use, which ones are going to be killed. And it was that time when Marvel still had that creative committee under the old management, the Ike Promoter era. And like they were just, they were shooting movies without having scripts, which again happened with Iron Man 2 just before that, right? So they they were, 
it was out of control and, and they, you can tell it's a complete mess and the Thor arc into Age of Ultron and some of the weird stuff there is a little messy as well. But anyways, that's the past. Um, so uh, yeah, as a follow-up to – well, let's go back. Last week, I think, Kofi, you, you and Ben said um, – you had like 10 seconds basically to describe Thor Love and Thunder and you said there's love, there, there's thunder, and it's fun. And I think that covers it pretty fairly. T- to me, this one, to what you said, Ben, Love and Thunder aims to be more comedic than Ragnarok, it seems. I think they saw that positivity and, and they knowing Hemsworth uh, truly shines as a comedic actor and he personally is passionate about that. Going back to Age of Ultron again, he told us in that set, he – he was happy that Thor was being more loose and it was going to be a more loose and fun character. And he, he was really said he wants to do more comedic stuff. And we could tell that paid off immediately because he did vacation into ghostbusters into Ragnarok, which at the time aimed to be like the most comedic Marvel film yet. Right. And this tries to do even more of that. Uh, even those team Thor shorts, which were really good. And they brought in Daryl from that back into this movie too. So there's some funny callbacks (laughs) there. Um, and so he, you know, Hemsworth through his credit, he's, he's a funny guy on screen. He is great at that. Um, when they have restraint. So with this movie, um, with Taika, I feel like they kind of lost their gauge on the comedy a little bit. And, and that restraint is a bit of an issue because even looking at Taika, which he's own character, Korg, like he became a pillar of the marketing campaign and, and he's, he's in so many scenes and has so much dialogue in this film. Um, he's funny in small spurts, uh, but they kind of made him a lead, and and to me, in this movie, it doesn't work. And this is just one example to highlight a bigger thing. But I found Korg as an example to be almost entirely unfunny to the point where his screen time was annoying, and worse, it took away from characters we want to see, and not just the leads, like seeing more Valkyrie, who I think is underserved, and getting more of Mighty Thor, which they kind of skipped bits of her story. But like the 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 real interesting character of this film is the antagonist, Gore. Um, so the comedy bits didn't work, and I felt like that combined with some real shortcuts they took with key plot points and plot MacGuffins, which we'll talk about later. Like the first two acts, I was very concerned with, um, but there were some really cool moments uh, and some of the stuff from the marketing I thought was going to be real rough, namely Russell Crowe's Zeus. I actually thought he was hilarious. Like I thought he was genuinely fucking funny, and he had more dialogue than I, dialogue than I thought. And I'm glad he did because he was. I think for some reason he worked, and some of these other things just did not. The rest of that little god city and the dialogue there didn't work so much. But just Zeus doing his monologue or getting up close to Hemsworth and talking, I thought was really funny. So um, I do hope to see a, a bit of that in the future. But the, the thing I really liked is Gore, uh, Christian Bale. You know, tremendously talented actor, but did more than I thought he would be able to in this film with that character, especially in a film that's so focused on trying to be funny. Um, I wish we got more of him and less of a lot of the other shit because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be here, especially some comedy bits that don't work. Um, but he, but he's excellent. And that kind of speaks to the maybe the biggest issue or at least one of the talking points of this film is the tonal whiplash. Like from the get-go of this film, the movie begins with what you teased last week. Now I understand it, Ben, is a Gore's very sad introduction and then his motivation for what he's doing in this film. And then it flips to the Guardians of the Galaxy scene where it's all fun times. And ter- there is actually some genuinely funny stuff there. Then it flips right back to the introduction of Jane's return to the MCU and this serious cancer story. And I, it's like, it is impossible for viewers, I think, to really invest themselves in that. Like, do these characters care as well? Am I supposed to care? I, I, it's really all over the place with that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that really shines through the first two acts. and But the third act really hit home on the real fun and exciting stuff. And I, I truly love 
I was very worried when, the, when this plot started revolving around a group of kids. Um, but when like Thor gave them, you know, brought them into the third act battle, it was a nice twist on the, on the MCU third act final sequence and the music and visuals. It was kind of fucking awesome. I, for some reason that totally worked for me. I thought it was so much fun. And I bet like, you know, the kids who do see this are going to like have a blast watching that shit. I know I would have, if I was younger, truly yeah. love that. Um, and I'll, I'll end by saying I did like the kind of, um, you know, Gore's kind of end piece and how they ended on the, on the, the note of like what love means. And they do some tags to kind of hint at the future there. But, um, yeah, I, they underserved some of the main things that were, that were really, really great, I think. Um, some of the visuals suffered as well for all the same reasons we complain about with every movie these days. Uh, but that the comedy bits didn't work. The story's a little questionable. And there's a lot of weird plot points and, and MacGuffins we can talk about uh, later, especially when it comes to cosmic beings and powerful artifacts and stuff. So um, I'll leave it there. I, I mean, we, we can. I don't know where I'd rank it, Ben, but this one... It is fun, but it's that the story and comedy stuff really heard it for me. So I'll leave it there. All right. Fair, fair. Kofi, you said you were bookending yours with, uh, with talking about your experience, talking to Natalie Portman for the dark world. Yeah. And, um, yeah, first I'm going to preface this by saying, I don't think a lot of Marvel fans actually get Taika Waititi. Like I don't think a lot of the Marvel mainstream viewership understands truly who Taika Waititi is and like kind of what he does and his brand of movie making. Um, and that's okay. Cause you know, I'm here kids, and I'm going to explain a little bit of it to you, but not too much because I'm not a preacher. <laughs> I'll be a sometimes teacher, not a preacher, but um, you know, Taika Waititi has kind of taken up the baton of that Mel Brooks school of filmmaking of satire, which is this thing we keep forgetting about in, you know, society. But uh, he does a good job of, but he's also doing it from a place of being kind of, you know, this New Zealander, you know, more of the Aborigine, you know, this kind of different viewpoint than we've had it. it it's, it's also kind of with a mix of kind of racial minority viewpoint always kind of worked in, which is something I don't think Ragnarok ever gets really credit for. I mean, people look at it as a comedy and stuff, but it's a satirical comedy. And it's also, it's about kind of like the whitewashing of history and, you know, covering up Aboriginal, you know, massacres and the darker past of things and kind of rewriting mythology and all this stuff um, and how that kind of erupts in nationalism and things like that. And it's actually kind of a weirdly predictive movie if you go back and watch it now for some of the deeper points that that are in it. Um, And I think... I do agree with Rob that I, and I, I don't believe, and I've said it uh, on this podcast, I've said it on the also excellent comic book nation podcast that I don't believe in any of these Marvel COVID era movies. I don't, I don't think, I think they were all put together with like duct tape and phone calls and none of them feel really cohesive or complete. And Shang-Chi gets, Shang-Chi gets like the closest to it. But even the ending with riding dragons, fighting dragons, some of that stuff still <laughs> looks pretty rough. Um, so I, I don't really have a lot of faith in any of these movies. But I will say that Thor Love and Thunder, for what it attempted to do, I, and I feel like there is a lot of this movie. And we know, I mean, it's not like we have to pretend we know there's a bunch on the cutting room floor, right? Like, there's a lot that there was cut out. Yeah. Christian Bale's in a completely different movie. 
than like anybody else in this movie. Um, and yeah. I think he did a whole thing, like, but I just know it was cut up. But uh, there is a kind of interesting story that they're telling, and that you know has been part of Chris Hemsworth's career, uh, Chris career in general, where what he wants to be as a leading man and kind of flipping it and not doing a machine, do you know, kind of satirizing the testosterone '90s hero type of thing. Um, I really enjoy that, and this story about where Thor has been in a weird way. It's just, it was really entertaining to me about looking at a character who's been in the MCU this long, this active and kind of doing this kind of deconstruction of like where he's been right. And like where he's like, and what's happened to him. Those are always some of my favorite MCU scenes, period, whether it, and I love the way that they handle it in the kind of, Thor being machismo, but really being kind of like wounded and vulnerable. Like it was a little bit much with the fat Thor for me in Endgame, but like just in Infinity War, like his scene with Rocket is one of my favorites where he's just describing like his life to Rocket and Rocket's just like Rocket of all people. It's just like, yo, what the fuck? Like, okay. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy. Like, and they sets up their whole thing in Endgame, which is one of my, I mean, I mean, that's the best Thor the Dark World is ever going to be, right? Is that sequence in Endgame. So, um, yeah, there you go. But um, I like the way that they kind of play Thor and, and kind of do that satirical thing about, you know, everything from toxic ma- masculinity to kind of bravado and hiding your feelings and all of that stuff. And there is a really kind of fun play on just like that 80s i think in this kind of like that 80s kind of masculinity that glam rock era where there were some really funny things about it when you look at it now and you kind of in a more modern sense where we're more open about things and you know it can have talking asking people ask questions like hmm like you know how homoerotic is all this and stuff like that <laughs> and it's, like, it's hilarious i mean the whole, and I say, said it last week, I think I alluded to it last week, but the whole subplot with Thor kind of doing this weird relationship thing with his two weapons is is hilarious to me. Like, I was just, I, I mean, that alone was just a comedic bit that was so funny to me that it was kind of like at once totally believable for this character at this point, but also like obviously like a very... There's there's a lot about this movie that's making fun of comic book movies, and I think that's what in comic book it like the whole thing in general, and I think that people are mad about that because they get that there's part of Taika Waititi that's not laughing with them but kind of laughing at them, um, yeah, and like the weapon thing is like one of my biggest clues where I was like, okay, I get this, like this is hilarious, like none of them take this stuff seriously and even though like so many millions of fans are so hung up about it. Like I'm going to take this this seriously. Um, that said, I did like Natalie. I did like uh, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster. And I, and I was happy that they didn't want to go too heavy with it or make it her like a victim or dramatic thing. Cause that was like the complete opposite of what she wanted to go for. And it's really what the opposite of what the whole arc about her character, whether it works or not. I mean, I'll defend Zack Snyder's whole arc in Batman v Superman, but I'll also say the whole Martha moment really just kind of sank what could have been a really good point to make overall, right? About how these two yeah. Titans and an alien and the, and the humanist human like kind of come together, right? Um, so the same thing here. So, but like, I did get like them keeping it light in the heavier parts because that's what Taika Waititi does. I mean, 
if it got too heavy. I mean, Jojo Rabbit's just kind of like that, right? Uh, you gotta, he can bounce that ball even when it's a lead ball and kind of keep it light. And I got that. In those scenes, you got to do it for the kids. You don't want the kids to be like freaked out about Thor, you know, dying from cancer too much. You know what I mean? You want them to know things like that, but you don't want them to be too freaked out. Um, but um, yeah, I was glad to see. And Natalie Portman doesn't want to be wrapped up in this shit for too long. Come on. She's in a completely different. This was just a validation. This was just like a, you know, your victory lap. So you got to get her flowers because she had said for so long, I want to pick up a hammer years before, you know, society was ready to do that. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was good to see her take her victory lap and she looked cool doing it. And, you know, if she's in, she's out. I get the real world, you know, politics of that. I would have loved to see Jane take over and be like Thor and, you know, Thor Odinson go on some kind of deeper travel, but that's not the way it played. Um, but yeah, there are some really messy things with the script and some things that just kind of feel rush. Uh, it feels like there was a bigger buildup. I mean, in the comics, Gore is at it for a long time, like before people pick up on it. And I think that's kind of a point of the story in a way, uh, that the gods don't even like kind of look out for each other <laughs> while they're getting knocked <laughs> off for so long. And, but, um, yeah, I, I agree that Russell Crowe, like that whole scene with Russell Crowe, Marvel is kind of nailing it. And, I, and I'm kind of getting sick of the formula, but like these kind of midpoint, like big hinge scenes where like they go someplace and they got a face of some special guest star. And like, you know, it's in Shang-Chi, it's smaller because it's Ben Kingsley and the reveal that like he's in the basement and all that stuff. And in here, it's just, uh, in, you know, whatchamacallit, it's, uh, it's Spider-Man. It was when Peter's arrive in uh, Doctor Strange, the Illuminati, and then this one we get uh, the Russell Crowe omnip- an omnipotence city. Try saying that three times fast, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but Russell Crowe really did kill it. And yeah, you know, we're already full spoilers, right? I don't have to like build this crap up. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, and Russell Crowe being the springboard to getting uh, Brett Goldstein as Hercules is, you know, <laughs> I'll take that. And like Russell Crowe, I mean, he, he, I mean, make all jokes about his appearance and all, and all that aside, but the man is is an actor's actor for a reason. He proved it. Like I mean, he just ate this, he just chewed up the scenery in that scene, and we loved him for it because it was great. And his whole like accent and everything is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it's just. Yeah, so there is a lot of mess in here, but like I think overall, like I said, I think as a crowd pleasing movie, like this was just a lot easier to go down than been trying to do some multiverse bullshit and like trying to figure that all out and do that. It was just weird to have a move like a Marvel movie, and this one feels like. And I said this about the first Avengers film, and I was a criticism. And at the time, people criticized me. Remember when Joss Whedon was your god back in 2012? And I was like, this dude still directs like a TV guy. Go back and read that Avengers. Preview. Yes, sir. It's all yeah. in ink, um, but um, internet ink. But um, yeah, like this felt like I mean a TV episode. It felt like a very long, you know, extended TV episode of special or Marvel special, right? It didn't feel like that much of a like a big movie, um, except for how cool Gore was, and like Gore was cool, and he would have been a cool villain to have in a lot of ways and maybe I want to say a longer arc, but like, how does that play out? I don't even know how that even plays out across Marvel movies anymore. Are we even doing arcs in movies? 
It was the only TV. Like, I'm so confused. But anyway, so we got what we got of Gore, but like the scenes like where he attacks news of Asgard, like the, his powers, all that's cool. I love how Marvel is just like, you know, looking at the fans like that MJ get like that MJ meme, like fuck them kids when it comes to just <laughs> simple things like Hey, what is this sword? Is it actually tied to anything? Are we even gonna give you like hints of that anymore? Or is it just a sword? The necro sword. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and how many dark colored phallic objects are running around here now because I'm gonna start getting a complex marvel. Like, is it you know, you got the necrosword, then what the fuck is that to like, you know, whatever Dane Whitman saw in the case and was like, <gasps> he'll get in his Pulp Fiction gasp on, like, you know, it's just getting nuts out here. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, what are those symbiotes? What's going on? Does anybody does anybody have any answers? Is anybody even going to answer us anymore? Or are we just going to get these, like, weird little stories with these objects that could be awesome but just never go anywhere? <laughs> Where are yeah. we? My drink tonight is called the Blue Hole. It's something I created. Um, uh, if you guys want an Easter egg, you will know that that is a reference to one of my favorite shows, but, uh, it's a drink called blue hole. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with everything that you said. I think I, you know, I mean, obviously I was more positive about this film than a lot of people. So, uh, I mean, I'm kind of in sync with a lot of the things that, that, you know, you're sort of saying about it. I think gore I mean, I in particular. Okay, let me sum it up for you, Ben. Uh, okay, it's not great, but I don't care. It was funny. <laughs> That's <laughs> where I'm at, too. And, and, and it's smart because the, all the payoffs, I say payoffs, not plot payoffs, but like the funnier moments and like the comedic payoffs are all in the third act combined with an action set piece I love and gore finally getting more screen time. So it is fun. No one can take away from that. And what you said, Kofi, is a good point. Like, it's refreshing and fun that it's not some disappointing multiverse thing because the multiverse stuff is not working for me so far. Like it's weird to say this, but Dr. Strange feels kind of forgettable. And we all talked about our gripes with no way home. Uh, so this not being tied down to that BS is in and, in and of itself a win. Uh, plus the fact that they're trying to just deliver a good time, but it is fun. I, 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 am curious if this is going to be one of the more forgettable ones for me in the long term. I guess it depends how quickly they pay off like the Brett Goldstein thing. And if they explore Valhalla more and all, you know, I guess we'll see or where and when Thor returns. Cause there's that tag at the end saying he's coming back. And of course they are the movie made 140 million or something this weekend. So Thor fives I'm sure is in the cards. So do you uh, think sorry, okay <laughs> so no i mean to kind of unpack <clears throat> you know to unpack it a little bit so if you were to say and i know you don't want to rank your movies rob but like i can r- like, like ragnarok has like 92 percent on rotten tomatoes right so the discrepancy between these two films this one i think was at 70 last time i looked i could i'm not sure where it landed after the weekend um i'll take a look at that but i i feel like they're not that separate in terms of like the quality of those films like Ragnarok had a lot of fun things in it but I feel like people just remember in that movie you know Thor fighting Hulk and how cool that was and the you know he's a friend from work and stuff I don't know that if you go back and you look at that classic Marvel hinge scene right there classic Marvel hinge (laughs) I guess that's true (laughs) that's true we didn't even we didn't know it was coming until uh until we're looking back on it now but the but I, I don't know that that movie is so for me 
if that movie's 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and critics liked it, to me, it's because that was so much better than The Dark no, World no. was. You think Can it's I... objectively... Yeah, no, I mean, I'm genuinely curious about this because I don't, I don't see yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of... You know, it's okay. We all know you love your four out of five movies, Ben. Let me tell you how it is. So... Um, you're right. This is the problem with the tomato meter. You just quoted me a number. By the way, you're inflating the score. It's 67 at Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. This is some low-ranking Marvel shit here. But that tomato meter is bullshit. What you want to do is click that little button for all you movie fans out there. Click the stupid tomato, and it tells you the average score from these 300-plus reviews is 6.6, right? Which is close to yeah. a 7. If you click Ragnarok, which is 93, that just means 93 people gave it the stupid tomato symbol. The average score is seven point six. They're like less than a. They're one point off. It's a six point six versus seven point six. So what you're saying is true. Like if we're obviously this is within the range most movies will fall that are big movies, right? But still, like you know, a one point difference isn't a massive thing, especially when you look at the online rhetoric of this movie and what you call divisiveness. I think that's fair. To me, this was a step down because it was sloppy and a lot of comedic bits didn't work. I genuinely did not like the first two acts for the most part. Uh, love the third act. Ragnarok is interesting. The first time I saw it, I almost wasn't ready for how comedic it was. Um, and I, you know, I have not to keep harping on VFX every fucking podcast, but the Hulk Coliseum Thor fight, real shitty backgrounds and some CG work there, right? So yeah, I wasn't ready for that. But you know, that's one of those movies where like I, I enjoyed it, loved the music and some of the that those nice. You got to give Taika credit for these beautiful like side view pastel like. Uh, visuals, you know what I mean? Like when Thor's jumping yeah. up in the air in slow mo, and he's gonna slam, and the you get the needle drop of some epic rock track or whatever. It happens in this movie too, of course. Uh, but I I appreciate it more the second time. I think it's just a cleaner film, maybe partly because of the era it was made pre pandemic or whatever. But um, this one feels messier. I think they they tried. I think they perhaps learned some of the wrong lessons from Ragnarok and thought, hey. People love the comedy rock shit. Let's double down on it. It's like, whoa, guys, you still got to do the story stuff and and, and tie it. Maybe appreciate the canon a little bit more. I mean, you know, we do nitpicking so well. Um, they, they are playing increasingly fast and loose with canon in these things. And I'm not just talking about like, where the fuck did the Necrosword come from? It just, it's just there. Is, is Gore God? Who cares? Eternity? This is Eternity is can just grant wishes now? Why didn't Thanos use that instead of this fucking gauntlet for 20 movies? Um, you know, but I'll give you a little example. It drives me crazy. I'm going to go back to my boy Korg here. It drives me nuts. They talk, I love how they kind of explain his background and they pay it off in the end, talking about his two dads and how these, how they conceive by, you know, holding hands over the molten lab or whatever. Funny scene and they pay it off. But in Ragnarok, he flat up has a monologue about his mom and her boyfriend were the only ones to come to his failed revolution. You remember that joke? He didn't print enough pamphlets when we meet him. Yeah. And it's like, do you just forget that you wrote this character that you voiced about him having a mom? And now it's like, it's like, do you, you have to like care about the details, I think a little more. And like, they really dropped the ball on that across this movie, I think. So, um, I have a question for you guys. Gore's daughter, is she a God? Is she, where where these powers come from? Like, what is she now? So I was assuming that, yeah, I mean, she's kind of some composite of this godly. Yeah, it's like but the godly energy of eternity. Because, yeah. because, because she, he brought her back. Okay, that, that's kind of the common theory yeah, out there. Marvel but... always has cosmic children. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how much that's going to Yeah, I mean, it could be that's definitely the next Avengers movie. If it's anything like Iron Man 3. <laughs> oh, 
or if it's or if it's yeah or if it's like this one it'll be uh you know <laughs> using your korg example <laughs> she'll it, like thor will show up and it'll have like a dog or something well, three sons be, uh, or something yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like wait what yeah I did. Uh, color again. Because I mean, yeah, that is Hemsworth. Yeah. I mean, real talk though, that was Hemsworth's daughter. That's his daughter. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, signing for sure. her up for yeah. show business in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that's Dude. a new level of intense. If so, not just that, the scene where he's running and just showing his costumes, it's his son playing the younger yeah, brother. Right? Yeah. yeah. So bringing in the whole yeah. fam from Australia there, and of course his brother plays Thor in the in movie play right for the last two movies. So. Um, as yeah, much as I, as it. much as I like this, I do, I have a question as well. So, I, we are supposed to believe that Stormbreaker was the only key to eternity, and that God. like this, that was probably one of my biggest issues, I guess, from it a plot standpoint. Storm, like, it wasn't that Stormbreaker was. It's the Bifrost, the Bifrost right? Bifrost is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so anything that has Bifrost energy or, theoretically yeah, could have opened it. Yeah, Which they, okay. I, think, I think, remaining Bifrost in the MCU is Stormbreaker, right? We th- so that's that's the failing of the movie. What's up? Yeah. You explained it earlier, Kofi. You, you teased it, so you mentioned like how there's so much stuff on the cutting floor, and we can speculate all day. But you know, th- there were scenes scenes shot with uh, Christian Bale's gore and like uh, Jeff Goldblum's, you know, Grandmaster, or whatever. But also, Peter Dinklage's yeah. character who created the Bifrost power, you know, Stormbreaker. So I think it would have helped if we had a scene like that explaining, like, maybe he's seeking out something or wants something built or is learning the lore. Like, how the fuck does Gore even know about eternity, A, and that this is the key to it or what it is and where it is? It would all be through likely his interactions with those characters, um, which yeah. we don't including the film. Like I said, I think they did like the Jason Aaron comic. Like I think they did a much more kind of methodical, like gore slowly creep, like literally creeping across the shadows of the universe and doing all this stuff and kind of quietly yeah. building up and, and, and totally kind of, a, you know, it's a yeah. very fast track Thanos, like Thanos collecting the stones, uh, or some of the stones on screen. This is like, they don't let Gore collect any of his knowledge on screen. He's just kind of there, um, which is a shame. But yeah, it does raise other other questions though about like cosmic travel. Cause like, I guess Zeus's lightning thing also lets you portal travel. And then Valkyrie's horse, who is like the, maybe one of the MCU's top three insane MacGuffins. It's this portal horse that just appears and can travel anywhere and survives battles <laughs> It just, it's just fucking, I don't know where this horse even is half the time, but it's there sometimes. Um, that thing can travel around the universe too, apparently. So it's very confusing, all that stuff. And I, you know, I do, even though it's goofy space magic, I care about these details more. And I wish they could, sh- you know, have more screen time or slow it down a bit to kind of explain a bit of that. I think it would go a long way, but especially 28 movies in or whatever we're at now. So um, here's, here's a question for you. If you could cut 10 minutes from this movie or add 10 minutes from this movie, which would you do? Add. Yeah. I, I would I'll also add, add exactly the things that Rob said, the yeah. steps of Gore's yeah. like Gore going. It's a weird disconnect that we start with this powerful scene with Gore. And it's, and it's a long scene. It's not like a short one. Yeah. Like he, yeah. you know, you think it's just going to be his daughter, you know, passing away and then him going swearing vengeance, but then he meets a God, you know, through this whole thing, right? This whole rigmarole. So you would think like he has him more steps of him finding out or like killing somebody that knows, killing his way up the chain, finding it. It's the grandmaster. And like, 
even just him like having even if it's a twisted kind of psychotic way of just saying I can't keep going on just like killing these individual gods like it's it's ridiculous like what how do I do this all and make the, the Grand Master tell him and then you know learning from Peter Dinklage's character the Bifrost is the key to eternity like you said those would be steps in an investigation and showing us a threat coming towards Thor but like you know not there yet but instead they just kind of lean into the comedic stuff with the guardians and i liked that stuff because i actually like thor with the guardians it's yeah and even though we saw in the trailer like that whole speech with him and chris pratt like was actually really good and that's what i mean about the heart of them getting to this character making this character in some ways like the most complex mcu character we have like in terms of characterization like and like Thor having to learn to kind of be vulnerable again and, and open up and do all that stuff. There is, I, I'm wondering how much of this was affected by the pandemic. Cause there is a weird kind of post COVID thing about it, like, and kind of getting back out there and doing stuff. But, uh, I don't know. It's going to always be lost to the sands of time on that front. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think like, yeah, I would add the things that made Gore's kind of progression make more sense. I hundred percent agree. I mean, all these theoreticals about Gore, all those scenes we're talking about, plus the idea of him like battling these B tier gods is super exciting to me. Like him that with that giant thing where Sif was found, like that would have been a cool fucking thing to see. Um, I would either add ten or drop ten of the Korg comedy shit and give it all the Gore. Uh, like Christian Bale on screen doing anything because even that opening ten minutes of him just like silent shots of him just walking through the desert and laying in the desert like that was some powerful and well shot stuff and I don't know I appreciate all of that more than a lot of the failed comedy bits I yeah I mean I agree with you guys the missing link for me is certainly the those te- those extra ten minutes building all that together would be a would be an improvement and I think for as much as I enjoyed the movie um, and had a fun time with it and, and do think it you know, is, is probably my favorite of, of his films. I would agree that like Gore is, there's like not nearly enough of him in it. Um, like the fight scenes are cool and, you know, him terrorizing the children are cool. The opening sequence is cool and the end sequence is cool, but that connective tissue of kind of what is this guy up to and where is he, what are the steps to that journey? I agree. Those would have been, would have been better if those were included in, in favor of, uh, or instead of some of the comedy stuff that, yeah. that didn't work. It, I, even, I, I'm it's good. Even the little things with Gore, like he, when he's on screen, like when he's trying to get the Stormbreaker and he's got um, Mighty Thor and Valkyrie all like tied up in the shadow roots and stuff like that. His little like mannerisms and inter- interactions with them when he's questioning them for information or he's strangling them to get Thor, like his little, like the way he does his th- with his eyes, not just the globe, but the way he's looking at them. And then when he's outside in the little tiny moon planet thing, He's like pointing at Stormbreaker to Thor and then Thor does the hand thing. It's like all these little tiny things like him on screen is so entertaining and fascinating when he's being dark and creepy, when he's telling the story to the kids that you mentioned, like it's it's incredible. The more I think about his scenes, the more I appreciate maybe part of that is because of the scarcity of them. But I do think he fucking owned this role and they they under delivered on on that front. But it it does raise another thing I I was going to ask you guys about. Um, I don't think we talked about it. Is the little love triangle between Mjolnir, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Stormbreaker, and Thor? Which I, was, yeah. I said something about it. I was saying that was the funny oh, yeah. thing about the phallic objects and kind of taking it. That's right. Here <laughs> and making yeah. me like all obsessed about this. It was I mean that's the thing that kind of cued me in to Taika kind of maybe at once 
making fun of comic book lore and movies and in themselves, but also, you know, doing funny things with this character that do make a little bit of sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it was kind of funny, but it's another example of like, they put a lot of time and scenes into that versus more weighted scenes that probably would have mattered more to the characters, you know, but yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I was curious by the end of it, like why he, why Milner was able to stick around too. And like that he was then wheeled. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because the entire movie, he's like reassuring Stormbreaker that he doesn't actually love, you know, Milner and stuff. And it's, you know, he feels strongly for him. And then by the end of it, he's like, no, no, I'm going to give you to my kid. And, you know, I got my hammer back. I'm good. Um, but I was curious, like how the hammer even survives Jane dying. Cause it's like, you know, the magic spell that sort of allows it to reform itself to protect her is, is tied Jesus, to her mortality and protecting love, her. man. <laughs> yeah. That's all Jane got the hammer. It was That's love, it, bro. I guess. I Just guess. Love. They'll, they'll yeah, have maybe, a, maybe you want, maybe don't know. <laughs> it was love, bro. <laughs> <laughs> have love. Uh, you know what I mean? There it is. People uh, were waiting for the Marky Mark to come back. Yeah, Marky uh, Mark knows what's up. Um, yeah. They'll do a flashback scene in, in Thor five where, like, you know, <laughs> Thor whispered some shit to Mjolnir to, for, to to connect and stay together for his daughter or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> the same way they kind of explain <laughs> the Mighty Thor thing, right? Yeah. Um, I yeah, I agree. I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that I, I guess I just was having so much. Up at one point, it was like, look, I don't want y'all here anymore. You don't gotta leave, but you gotta get the fuck up out of here. And then it was like, I'm not taking you anywhere. And then, like, it just gave them hammer power so they can get the fuck out. There you go. I think uh, for as much as I for as much as I enjoy the movie, I do understand. Uh, I understand your guys' complaints. I think part of it for me was it really was just refreshing to me to not, and you guys already said some of this, but to not be in a multiversal story. And people were kind of giving me a hard time for my initial reactions after I'd seen the movie, even before this quote of mine got like picked up for marketing um, by saying that, you know, like I, I thought it was great because it didn't, it was sort of a standalone adventure and that was a breath of fresh air and kind of a return to form for the, for the MCU after we've had these multiversal stories and people kind of mistook that for, you know, the cameos and things being, being, you know, an example of like multiversal stuff. And that's not what I was saying. I mean, I always expect at this point in MC movies, there's going to be cameos, but the last two movies having different versions of the same character showing up and the amount of sort of energy around that. I don't, I still don't think that like no way home is that good of a movie outside of those, those cameos. And so for me here, we got a new villain who we didn't really have any connection to before. And it's an interesting story, even if there are chunks of it missing and, you know, we get these characters back and they're on a, they're on a fun adventure together. They're not, we don't have all these like tethers to, to things that we're supposed to care about or, you know, characters that are brought back that are somewhat kind of, changed in a way to sort of fit the story that needs to be told in in this like you know connected story so for me that was all really really rewarding and so maybe i got kind of swept up and just enjoying you know sort of a standalone thing but i don't know i'm gonna have to go back and i'm gonna have to revisit ragnarok and and sort of see where i land on in my rankings but i don't know i still i still appreciate the ambition that this film attempted to you know, do this funny stuff and also tell like a relatively like heartfelt 
set of stories between Gore and also the Mighty Thor. I mean, those are both relatively serious stakes those characters have. And I think they, by the end of it, you know, there's an interesting message about love and sort of sacrifice and living that is maybe a little bit more profound than people are giving it credit for, even if the movie itself is a bit sloppy. Um, yeah, and for that right ambition, I kind of give it, that's sort of where, why I felt like it. survive. That's what the message is. <laughs> that's the message. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else do you guys want to talk about here? Um, I'll also say that the Screaming Goats gag never got old for me. And if that is a recurring thing in every Thor movie, I will. Uh, oh, I was around. actually having this argument the other day. It was perfect oh, because it was funny and it got funnier. <laughs> then it got old and tiresome. And then you're like, and then they took a, just enough of a break that at the end they brought it back. And you're like, okay, that's really super funny. <laughs> it was funny pretty funny. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like a whole journey with the goats. I think my, I just, I loved the scene of like them landing in Omniscient City or whatever it's called. And you, the go, like the goats are off screen, but you hear them scream. Like, I just thought that was yeah. so, like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I love it. I still am laughing when I think about it just because of how absurd it was. You know, like um, someone literally. probably Taika was watching that Taylor Swift fucking meme video and like the, you know, <laughs> and like, that's how these, they wrote yeah. the story of the movie. Uh, I think they're pretty hilarious in this movie, especially the way the, you know, the, my, one of the funniest and best parts of the movie for me is, is like the guardians intro, like the blue aliens on that planet. Like they're the way they talk and react <laughs> to everything is so gold. That is a like great Taika writing. Like yeah. it's like it's scene set up that whole set piece. It feels like, like Kobe said earlier, that is also a different movie from the Bale movie and the rest of the Thor movie. But yeah, yeah, the goats sure. are cool, but I think they they ran their course. I don't know if I can handle them screaming in another movie. Oh, no, don't bring them back again. That, that <laughs> yeah. would just ruin the joke. It's a perfectly yeah, needs- orchestrated gag in this one. Because <laughs> the one that they brought it back to the end, the whole theater was just like, everybody was just fucking on the floor. If no one yeah, has done it, minute. if no one's done it yet, someone needs to like edit them into that final Avengers standoff scene with Thanos though. Like with okay. the portals opening and stuff. I would freaking I would fucking love that. Um we got Lady Sif back after a couple of movies. That's good. Minus an arm, but um that's good. So Thor five, I'm sure she'll be there. Uh yeah, that was interesting. I was curious I was curious why did sure did is her show canceled now? Is that why she's back? Because that's why she like I don't think it was ever officially reported. It was always like rumored. I thought, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think a trade reported that. But because um, yeah, I mean, how do you feel? Am I mistaken on this? What about which which thing about her show being canceled? If show was that ever a real thing? Um, oh no, I'm sorry. I meant the I meant Jamie Alexander's the show that she was on that she oh, was like that took no, her away because no, no. oh, it was the yeah, live yeah, show. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, she like took her away for a while. Its own accord. Yeah. yeah, no, they, they lasted a good oh, like, no, she, a long yeah, run. She got a lot of money out of that. She, she did. Sure. Yeah, that was a, the blind yeah. spot. Yeah, because that's why she basically yeah. left, right? Was because she went in to go do that. And then. Yeah, um, they did. She'd say in interviews, she was offered a way to have like a cameo uh, in Ragnarok. Um, but she couldn't she couldn't travel Australia for, for the during the blind spot. But good thing she didn't. They probably would have killed her off in like one two second scene. You know? like, <laughs> so, yeah. Everybody else. She would it probably would have been like her fighting Hulk and Hulk just like ripping her in half or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's fine. She's um, getting stiff money too. She was in Loki, what if 
No, that's she's, it. Yeah. No, a couple Agents of Shield cameos. Now she's one armed. Like, oh yeah, she got to punch. Uh, that's right. She got to punch Tom Hiddleston in the balls or kick him in the balls like a thousand times in Loki. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Um, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. No, uh, no mention of Loki in this one. I mean, I know that you know our Loki is now dead, and you know the Loki that exists in the show is is you know the one from the alternate timeline and everything, but you know, they, for as important as that character was, it was, uh, I mean, I guess they talk a little bit about loss and he sort of references that in talking about guarding himself and stuff like that. But I don't know. I was, I was still kind of almost expecting there to be some, a bigger kind of Loki, you know, like not role because that'll happen eventually. I think think. it didn't come up when he was talking about Hela at one point, because he was talking about having a sister and was just like kind of going through his family or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. when we talking to, to Star Lord or Peter Quill, there he, he's talking about. Um, he, he talks about both his parents. Talks about Loki. Talks about his best friends all being dead. And the whole speech about you know it's better to feel shitty than to feel nothing at all or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I have another thing we didn't talk about yet. Is the whole Valhalla thing? Um, yeah, so, we get Heimdall. Yeah, I got a big Heimdall return, which is cool. I, mean, I wonder how. <laughs> what that means for the future like obviously they're not throwing in Valhalla without it playing a big part in the future but what's interesting though is like they they keep making saying these definitive things like like they say a couple things one only as guardians get to go to Valhalla and we can say you know Jane Foster being worthy to wield Mjolnir and going to Asgard and being in touch with the Aether maybe makes her an exception there but <laughs> when they go to Valhalla it seems like they turn into that sparkly force ghost dust shit um, which is how Odin went right in Ragnarok, yeah. but Odin did not die in battle. So which is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you have to die in yeah, battle? Bro. Like you Come told on, it. Bro. Odin. He had like yeah. all the battles. He probably made the rules. He was just like, I take the back door. MCU. He's got, he's got in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Literally. <laughs> he got to, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he ain't by no rules. He's Odin. They are, uh, yeah, they, just, they feel like they, every time they say a thing, they're always playing it fast and loose. So if your character yeah. tells you a thing, 98% chance it doesn't actually mean what they say. <laughs> yeah. The the kind of, uh, I am curious how you guys feel about some of the recent, what I would describe as kind of stunt casting that they're doing in these post-credit scenes. Um, because like these people that are showing up in these post-credit scenes are like very, very, like of the moment type actors in a lot of ways with maybe the exception of Charlize. Like, I mean, Charlize, you know, has a bit more of a pedigree there than, you know, like Brett Brett Goldstein, as much as I was excited to see him and and Harry and stuff, but it does feel like with these stingers, they're doing a thing that they haven't done a lot in the movies, which is previously a lot of the characters that are brought in, I would say, aren't like necessarily super well-known actors. Like this is a conversation we've had in reference to kind of some of the stuff with um, like with Ezra Miller and things too, is like the casting of these superhero movies for a long time was kind of these not particularly well-known people where they were coming into the Marvel universe and that was going to be kind of their thing. And they were going to, you know, Chris Hemsworth is an example of that. And they were going to sort of build a career within the MCU, whereas now the MCU is big enough that they're pulling in these really well-known actors. Totally. And I'm a little bit curious if you can, 
you know, you can see like with a character like Hercules, if like a Brett Goldstein can disappear enough into that character that you don't just see at this point, Roy Kent, because the character, that actor is so tethered to, you know, that, that of the moment popularity. And I'm not taking anything away from Brett Goldstein. He's a good actor. He's been in a lot of other stuff, but like people know that guy is Roy Kent. Now he was cast here because he's mega popular because of his role as Roy Kent. And now we're going to get him as a potential villain in a future film. And like, is that the same as like a Christian Bale? Like, you know, who's just a good actor. I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about where those things are headed with, uh, with some of this stuff, but I am as well. Uh, and I have two minds for this. This is like, they've been kind of talking about this for years and all these big trade analyses of the MCU and the Kevin Feige of it all. But what you're saying is true. Back in the day, they just they find an actor and they build them into a superstar. And, and now, and this happened going into end of phase two and phase three. Now every actor and their mother has their agent asking about that uh, super fame, glory MCU role, and because of that, they get the Kevin Feige discount. So they, you know everybody wants to be in the MCU. So they'll do it. They'll do a cameo. They'll do a role. They'll do a three picture deal for cheap, cheap, cheap. You know what I mean? Way below quote because they get to be in the MCU. And no matter what happens to the career, they're always going to have the MCU role and the, the action figures and the Comic-Con appearances for the rest of their life, right? So yeah. uh, not to say that all these actors are going to be going to the, doing the con circuit for money, but a lot of them do, including all the Avengers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're, you're, what you're saying is true. Now, like, if I can just call anyone to play any role for five seconds and he gets them. So they're not taking – they're not doing the big, you know, screen 2000 people for this key role. They're just taking the, the famous people who are available. And, and that's every role. Today, we learned Alden Ehrenreich is playing a supporting character in the Ironheart series in Disney Plus, like Han Solo himself. You know what I mean? And look at the Secret Invasion cast. They just brought in another Game of Thrones actress and a bunch of other stars to back it up. And, you know, we got yeah. fucking Jon Snow playing this dude who picks up a sword in the post credit scene and Mahershala Ali's blade. That's a bigger role because it's a lead role. But the point is all these supporting roles now are going to be like famous people. They're either well-established veteran actors like the Anthony Hopkins of it all, or, or they're really, really buzzworthy blowing up in social media actors um, or superstars to bring in a new audience like Harry Styles, like you said. So it's a shame because it's now they're, they are just picking and choosing who's famous and who's hot and who, who's, who's available at that time versus, doing the old fashioned film school way of actually doing the search and trying to find new talent. Um, so it'd be nice. Yeah. It's kind of I was like thinking turtles would, would do that. Like turtles would turtles did something cool in casting. They, they found a huge international crew. Um, they put them all together. And unfortunately the movie was a mess, but uh, that idea is nice. I'd like the filmmaker to come in and just like search for actors. We don't know and build a really cool story there. That would be amazing and super refreshing, but who knows if we ever will. Every movie is a huge ensemble now, right? Even these character movies. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm as like, yeah, I mean, like I'm as excited as anybody to see, you know, Brett Goldstein as Hercules. Like that was fun when I saw the post credit scene. I was like, that's amazing. You know, I'm excited to see him, but I don't know. Like I, I think I was a bit shaken by, by obviously by hair. I mean that the, like I still think that post credit scene is one of the worst post credit scenes Marvel has ever done with with Harry Styles and Pip and stuff like that in it. But like the with Charlize showing up, it felt so kind of connected to the Harry Styles buzz. Like, okay, well, what's another you know major actor that when they show up, it's like, oh my god, she's going to be in this 
um, this universe. And now this was sort of that same thing. And it's not like I'm against it. These people are good actors and they'll probably be fun in these roles, but it does feel like we've lost a little bit of something. It feels kind of like these are the casting articles we wrote, you know, a decade ago or something, you know, it's like, Oh, not that we, you know, would have chosen Brett Goldstein at the time for Hercules, but it, you know, when people say, okay, well, what casting the Avengers in the nineties and you have Tom Cruise as, you know, Iron Man and, you know, and Denzel Washington as Black Panther and stuff. It's like, this is starting to feel a little bit like that to me, um, which is kind of unfortunate, I feel like. I love the two, <laughs> you just mentioned Charlize and uh, Harry. <laughs> they, they both have ridiculous costumes. It's straight from the comics <laughs> for sure, but like these stupid yeah. shoulder pads and that CG Pip thing and where they use Patton Oswalt to voice him. Patton's already yeah. got roles in the MCU. I mean, he plays Modoc, he does. He plays a bunch of... Uh, twins or quadruples, whatever he's in, uh, in Agents yeah, of Shield. Obviously, right. something different there. That's an opportunity to do something different. You don't got to take the name everybody knows every time. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if they're going to swing back the other way at some point because it's it's they're doing so many things at once now, like so many different movies exploring different or setting up different arcs, and then the post credit scenes are like taking another layer outward with famous actors playing weird characters and it's 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 really taking away the excitement of it all right like i yeah. felt nothing seeing charlize at the end of doctor strange i was just like wow maybe you didn't have to honor the comics costume on this character but i mean that's going to be a big thing doctor strange three or whatever but um it's also like a big i don't know it seems like it's a big like phase to, well i mean you know and some people are going to argue like you can take this all the way back to iron man and it's like you know samuel L. jackson shows up as nick fury at the end of that movie and you know, wants to assemble the Avengers. So I get it's in the DNA here, but I would say, I would say they sort of started to walk away from that a bit and, and really did test out some new talent. And, you know, it's like Chris Pratt for as divisive as that guy is sometimes these days, you know, that guy was never anybody's first pick for star Lord. And so that seemed like an inspired choice. Whereas now, you know, are these inspired choices? Are these, are these risky choices? I don't know. I think for me, everything we're saying, I agree with the, the thing for me is like why I'm kind of exhausted on it is not because they just keep doing it and they're big actors. It's because I don't know if they're going to pay off at all. And this goes back to our conversation with Dr. Strange and the post credit scene there. Like, yeah, it's true. They set up a very intimate thing with Mordo and Mordo's role in the MCU and they never did anything with it. We just got a variant of him. In fact, they were going to kill him off originally in Dr. Strange too. That they Wanda was going to yeah. deliver our Mordo's head. And I was like, what could you imagine? They even did a post-credit scene where he's draining powers from other magic users, and they just kind of f- threw that all away. What? And then, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know if Doctor Strange three is even going to be uh, about Charlize at this point, right? The same way after Far From Home, I didn't know. I thought for sure this is time for an intimate story with Craven and figuring out his identity thing. Nope, it's multiverse time. It's that's just blow it up with cameos and make that two billion at the box office. So it feels like they're just throwing shit out there and they don't actually sometimes have the plan the same way we think they do, or these things are more adaptable now and they can change on the fly. But all my nitpicking about little details in this movie, love and thunder from how they handle Valhalla and Korg and stuff like that. that It's very clear to me that things they set up important things you'd think are important threads or important pieces of dialogue they actually don't give a shit. They are not beholden to that at all. They will easily break that canon in the next movie or drop a story or drop a character or reduce a character or push it to another movie. And that's kind of the part where it's bothersome because with 
Nick Fury, back when it was simple, it's like, this is setting up the Avengers. He's setting up S.H.I.E.L.D. Boom. That's the next 10 movies, right? Now, every time I get a cameo, like, is Hercules going to be in Thor 5? Avengers 5? I have no fucking clue. He may not show up ever again. <laughs> or, or, or if he does, it could be eight years from now. It's just, it's so unclear. And maybe next Saturday at Comic-Con, this becomes clear. But we're, we're all sort of, I think, not we all are, but there's certainly an exhaustion or curiosity around, is the multiverse building towards anything of consequence is it going to be are they going to pay that off there was a clear payoff to the infinity saga and thanos and he was very they had a much more precise plan there but now they're throwing so many things in different directions it's very unclear what any of it means in the grand scheme um and you throw in all the disney plus shows do do they tie in do they not i don't know it's very very confusing we're such a at a weird nexus point in the mcu where like they're doing a bunch of different things, starting Disney Plus. We're introducing a hell of a lot of new characters in different verticals, including like Werewolf by Night later this year with Moon Knight and Blade, right? And then they got the Captain America 4 thing. You got this cosmic tease here. We got the multiverse shit going on with going into Ant-Man. And I, it's, it's, it's so many different things at once. It's very – it's hard to see you know, the forest from the trees. Like, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. So uh, And individually – not to keep complaining, but like these movies are not hitting home runs. Is you know what I mean? Like a lot of these movies in Phase Four, they're kind of like, oof, you know, Eternals didn't really do it. Black Widow was kind of disappointing. This movie, I felt, was a bit of a step down. I love Shang Chi, but that's like the only one. And and the Disney Plus shows, a lot of them are not really driving for me either. So I think I wonder how much I feel is out there in the broad audience, or if I'm just personally exhausted of it at this point. Yeah. I would, I wonder if it's because like not everybody goes and sees all the movies, you know, and we also live in it because of, you know, working for the websites and stuff like that. You know, you're living in the rumors and all the speculation for so long. It's like if a casual moviegoer goes and they see Brett Goldstein, they get excited because they love Roy Ken and that's all that really matters, you know, like that, that may be the case, but it is, you know, when Kofi was describing earlier, his experience, you know, with that Thor, Thor, the dark world, um, junket, you know, after the premiere, you know, that was a, it was a simpler, you know, it was a simple, it was kind of a simpler time, right? Like there was the, yeah, the, the was one, there, one down five to go or whatever. And it alluded to something that people then would go that weren't familiar with the comics would go search. And that's, you know, kind of how we built the websites we built, but now it feels like everybody's Googling, yeah, well, who is that character that Brett Goldstein's playing? But uh, I don't know, like an earlier version of the MCU wouldn't have had Brett Goldstein there. It would have had, you know, the armor or it would have had Zeus like saying, go get Hercules or something like that. It wouldn't have yeah. necessarily been like. It, you're right. And there's so much of it too. Like even this movie, as an example, they get the eternity tease, which is a big deal in the comics. That's setting up a lot of stuff. And they just kind of throw it away as a little plot point sort of at the very end. A very important one still. But now even like the MacGuffins, like the Necrosword seems like a big deal. It, they just kind of throw it in there and it's gone. You know what I mean? Or the sword yeah. that our man Jon Snow is picking up. Or like the Darkhold, which is, I guess, another version from the, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But like that went from Disney Plus to Doctor Strange. And then we got the, um, the Stormbreaker. There's so many different magic things or objects that are in different kind of sub-universes now. And I, there's a a fine line there between having it all connect versus having more isolated stories that don't need to connect. And they're kind of trying to 
have their cake and eat it too in that respect. Like some, it's just yeah. very unclear where things cross over. But you're the fundamental, like broad audience. These movies are still banking huge, right? I mean, obviously, No Way Home set yeah. crazy records. Uh, Doctor Strange more tempered down, but still made a big money. And this movie had a huge opening weekend, the biggest, obviously, for any Thor movie, one of the biggest of the year. So Thor 5 is certainly in the cards. So, I mean, yeah, we're, you know, we're getting nitpicky, but these are obviously huge. And the Disney Plus show is a big audiences as well. So, uh, what, yeah. what role do you think me saying that it was the best Thor movie and that appearing in so many of the ads had on its opening box office? Yeah, I think, think Disney owes you some money. 5%. Yeah, I think so. That's always my favorite thing is when, you know, when like people, because a lot of the, you know, people like hunted me down after that thing and were hitting me up being like, how much did Marvel pay you for this? And it's like, man, I wish. Well, you, said, punch, man. Man. You, you, you tried to help Lightyear and you didn't help them make much money, but you made up for it with Thor. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I can only do so much. I can only do so much Disney. Yeah. Um, what's the next Disney movie coming out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did we did we lose Kofi? He finished his drink and he left. He's making another blue um, hole. Is that what he called it? I think so. Blue I'm, too, I'm too tired to figure out what that's a reference to. I got to Google yeah. it. Um. All right. Well, anything else, anything else you want to talk about, Rob? We got a we got an old school screen run underground. Kofi uh, fell asleep or just said, "Forget this. I'm out of here." So, Hang on. Did he say blue hole? What is that? I, I my Google results are not. <laughs> Anything from movies. I mean, I mean, I don't think Blue Hole is something you should probably Google anyway. No, it's not. Um, you sick mind. It's not. No, no. No bad results. Um, no. We'll oh, well, nice uh, well, if you do Blue Hole drink, it shows a blue lagoon, but there's no way he's drinking that. It's like a it's like a, uh, like a tropical cocktail or something like Maybe. that. Maybe. As long as it's made with vodka or gin, he'll drink it. I guess. Let's see. It's uh, vodka, blue, caraco, and lemonade. I mean, that, that sounds, sounds like, yeah, lemonade and vodka is what he was drinking recently. So that sounds like what it is. Maybe that's what it was. Um, um, well, what else? What's coming up next? I guess, is Black Panther next? Wakanda Forever? I think Wakanda Forever is next. Yeah. I believe that's okay, the cool. next one. And next weekend, yeah. of course, is San Diego Comic Con. Marvel Studios back. First time for Marvel and the con itself since 2019. And 2019 is where they ended with uh, Black Widow and then the, the Mahershalali blade announcement so yeah i i hope with all these like latest like reports about thunderbolts and captain america 4 having a director and writer like we're gonna get some confirmations and titles there and maybe bigger things like fantastic four maybe they finally talk x-men new disney plus stuff and we, again werewolf by nights coming this fall and i think blade's probably gonna show up there so like we're finally gonna get some clarity on these things but you think we get fantastic four official counsel or counseling <laughs> i need counseling after this night casting I I don't know about casting, but certainly they got to give some dates. There's like three or four undated films, and they got to start announcing ones beyond that. Because like Blade shoots was supposed to shoot like next this month, it got delayed a little bit. So that's they're going to date that. I'm sure they're going to title and date Captain America four. Um, I'm sure on stage, given the proximity, we're going to have like maybe the the Marvels, and of course Black Panther is the big one. And so that Ironheart's also beginning production, which is why they announced the. Alden Ehrenreich uh, casting today, yeah. so um, they'll have. To, I'm sure they'll have the cast for that on stage, um, and maybe some yeah. bigger. I, I would like to see Shang Chi two announced, and, and then some confirmations on what's going on with like Echo and uh, what, what's the Shang Chi spinoff show? Is something about the Ten Rings? 
I think it's yeah, about I think his, it uh, was sister, right? Yeah. So yeah, the show about yeah. that. So that kind of stuff. But I'd like to see, yeah, you know, they announced Fantastic Four, showed the title for it, and said John Watts was directing last time. So I think so. They have to, I think, to save face, have a replacement director. And it would be cool if they had casting for that and some bigger things there. But um, the big question is, do they finally pull the trigger on something X Men related after this Professor X drop? Right. So yeah, um, I don't know. What I do hope it's really huge. Like? I hope they blow it up. Yeah, what are you most excited to see? Uh, like, not just Marvel in general, but yeah, just out of everything. Oh, at a Comic Con? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of asking you a lot of questions there. But um, Star Trek has a panel. You know me. I'm, I'm excited to see like Strange New Worlds season two is in the can. Picard season three is in the can. Like, I hope to see like some cool stuff there because um, yep. Picard sucks, but the third season brings everybody back from the original. TNG show, so that'd be cool. But uh, Keanu Reeves is going to be there in Hall H for his Berserker comic, which they're turning into a Netflix uh, movie yeah. thing. So, I, some details on that would be super cool. We're trying to set up interviews with him. Um, you know, of course, Black Adam and Shazam are going to be there. The Rock's going to do his thing. Talk about Zoa energy drinks, you know. So um, <laughs> that'll be neat. It, yeah, they're doing. Do you have a man. dueling? Uh, there's dueling fantasy epics streaming. Streaming epics with House of the Dragon. That's it. And, uh, the Rings, Rings of Power. Of power. Baby. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, big question marks on both, right? That Rings of Power trailer did not play well. So they have to like really blow. This is the biggest investment Amazon Prime Video has ever made. So they, they, they really have to do something special with this. Um, they yeah. did that reveal and then like 100,000 posters. And like the reaction was so muted and mixed. People were like, oh, no. So I, I'm yeah. curious how they're going to make up for that. And obviously Game of Thrones, they've been burning through pilot ideas so this is the big one uh, I'm, I'm excited for that i mean hbo you know to their credit today the emmy nominations came out and they had broke a record for the most noms ever for any sort of network it was like 150 or something um yep by the way our servants got a bunch too like 20 or something for apple so oh, good yeah. for adam scott and company but uh yeah I mean, there's a lot of stuff there a lot of big tv a lot of movies uh it's gonna yeah, be a big year yeah. i'm kind of regretting not going now yeah, it would have been a, it would have been fun. I'm sure. The what else did I have that I was going to ask you about um, from that? I can't remember now. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, like a return to form for Comic Con. I mean, you know, we obviously went for like a decade straight, and uh, and yeah. definitely some of my favorite memories of even just the three of us, like you know, hanging out there and and meeting meeting Screen Rant readers and just being at all this geeky stuff. There's nothing quite like it. So I'm. You know, I hope the people who are getting to go this year, especially the people who are getting to go for the first time, um, you know, get to enjoy it as much as we as we did. And that there's some cool stuff to see because, man, I will never forget, you know, those like in like the mid 2010. So like 2015, 2014, I still remember getting up really early to go to the Doctor Who panel and cover it on Sunday at the end of it. And it was like. (laughs) the line for this for that Sunday was all the way it's like the longest the line's ever been and it wasn't for Doctor Who but I think it was just a lot of people ended up with passes that day or something and we're trying to get into Hall H because I think there was like maybe Fringe and then like Supernatural and then Doctor Who or something so three yeah, pretty like rabid bases yeah. yeah so just big rabid fan bases and stuff for those Sunday TV uh, TV panels and like I still remember it was like a two mile long like line or, so, or like a mile long line because it wrapped all the way along the side, did the snake through the different, you know, the, the feeder line, then went all the way behind the convention center and all the way back into that park and then wrapped around the park 
on the on the bay like like a whole time i just remember saying at the back of that thing being like we're never we're never getting in and then like sure enough like once they condensed the line like we actually managed to get into that so I just I will just never forget the like scope and scale of getting to be a part it's of nuts, those man. things. I, I'll never amazing. forget. You said 2014, 2015. That's like the uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens era. And I remember JJ Abrams yeah. going out there delivering like pizzas and donuts to people <laughs> overnight. But, yeah, yeah, um, that's yeah. I, I was there for the origins of that shit. Like that that over like Comic Con was small time a decade and a half ago until like Hollywood really blew up and then all these genre films like comic book movies blew up. But like the first time that happened, the overnight shit, I was there. That was my first one, 2009. And it was because it was the first time that they brought Twilight there. It was the, like, the uh, second right, one. Yeah. What was it called? New, New Moon or some shit? And yeah. Team Jacob. Uh, so like that whole line it was when they first had to create those giant outdoor lines. But it was also the same day. And I'll never forget the controversy as Avatar. They were bringing this, the biggest, most expensive movie of all time that nobody has seen. James Cameron's first appearance at Comic-Con. It was same day. And initially they had Avatar first or something and New Moon afterwards. And everyone was losing their shit because all the Twilight fans were staying overnight and we're going to take all the spots and just sit through the Avatar to get to Twilight. So like last minute, right. they switched it around. So Twilight can get their first. And, and the, the idea was like a lot of those fans would just piss off afterwards and everybody else could get in for Avatar. Um, <laughs> but I'll never forget like before we had our own ways to get in, like having to like go there yeah. at four in the morning and wait five hours just to get a seat and use my flip phone to use the old SMS Twitter back in 09. So – um, yeah, those were the days, man. But one of my favorite panels, DC panels were, yeah, were you know, like something Gore to behold. From the shadows, baby. Hey! Oh, there he is. Yeah, there he is. I need um, to come back. Fall asleep for a moment, but I am back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were we were just talking about not really like previewing Comic Con, but just kind of reminiscing about going to Comic Con, and also talking a little bit about what we're excited to see. Um, obviously, you're actually going this year. Um, both Rob and I are sitting this one out, but. What are you what are you looking forward to the most? I think just seeing the Comic Con experience function like it and like we know it to be. I mean Hall H, yeah. Marvel Saturday night, all that whole nine. I think it's just yeah, that was kind of picking getting yourself up and get going, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of what we were saying. We were that's sort of how we slid into this conversation about like reminiscing was just like there really is nothing like being there um and the scale of it and just you know the excitement and and some of the late nights and and the frustrating things that we would deal with along the way what i was gonna say before kofi came back is my favorite one of my favorite recurring events at comic-con always would occur on friday night and it was that in in like a while back, and this was before, like Rob was saying, we had other ways of like getting into Hall H and um, the studios <laughs> were a bit better about holding, you know, seats for like press and stuff like that. <laughs> Rob Keys would disappear at like eight o'clock at night on Friday night. And like his mission essentially was to like cozy up to whatever PR people he was like friendly with that would have like, hall h passes for the next day so that you know for whatever they were promoting so that we could basically get our guys in there for that thing cover it and then just like you know stay in there the rest of the day to make sure that they saw the avengers and whatever the other big stuff was and so rob would like emerge at the, the morning 
at like three in the morning and like Kofi and I would have just like started going to sleep or something. And Rob would come stumbling in like half drunk with like two or three of these Hall H passes. Hells yeah, various. baby. Every year. <laughs> it's like, it like every year that was Rob's like little mission. And if Rob it. could accomplish that. Like, I can make one request is that this podcast never cover my time as a prostitute. I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, we don't know what Rob got up to those late nights, those late Friday nights, but uh, he always, oh, he always, the next he gets day. party to party to party. Now I was talking to executives, <laughs> wives of actors, like everyone I could to get one of those seats. <laughs> oh man, it worked though. It worked though. Yeah. And then uh, what would always happen on half of the ones we're stressing out about the morning of, I get a call like 10 minutes before saying, Hey, we held a seat for you. And they called me in. <laughs> we just, all that, the whole night, <laughs> just like putting my yeah. mental and physical health on the line. Um, yeah. And I ended up, uh, but it's good. I got to sit in there too, <laughs> along with our designated yeah. news editor or whatever. Um, Kofi, I have a question yeah. for you. Since you're going this year, are you going to be covering some of the Hall H panels yourself? No, we got a guy for that Marvel stuff and that big gotcha. stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. We got a guy for that. Cool. I wasn't sure if you're going in there for like track or any of those other big ones like Game of Thrones and stuff. No, I will be hosting a uh, – well, I can't say anything actually. No, I can't say anything. Never mind. Ooh, baby, he's hosting. Oh. Hells yeah. Nothing for no nah. well, We got a few too that were uh, maybe not the same thing. But there's a few panels we're trying, we're trying to moderate with a few people. So uh, Cross Collider and, and uh, Scream It, which is exciting. So I'm disappointed I can't be there to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what room the Walking Dead ends up in. Is it, is it not announced I, I forget. I forget if uh, have they announced, but I think we were talking about this somewhere else. Um, they did. Yeah, the, the Saturday and Sunday panels came out over the weekend. Um, I have a sheet here, actually. Let's see. Way back to the beginning where they started in the first room where that show started. I, I want to say yeah. it's probably Ballroom 20 this year. Yeah. Oh, well. I need All to right, confirm. Yeah, sure. I think it's but, funny. Hey, man, your Dragon Ball Super at... superhero is going to be in the big room. Yep. Uh, on Friday. Dope. I mean, not that we – anybody who knows all that, <laughs> nobody waited for it to get over here to do <laughs> everything with that, so that's all done. But, uh, yeah, yeah. that would be dope. I would probably show it. Like, yeah, that would be dope as fuck. I'd like to see that, actually. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny seeing some of these shows, like, showing up back at – like San Diego Comic-Con that kind of started there. And then they had sort of matriculated over to um, New York Comic-Con because New York Comic-Con was kind of the big like spotlight for the walking dead. And a few of like a lot of the Marvel Netflix shows. Um, yeah. They would all sort of debut there. So it's kind of interesting seeing like the walking dead now kind of being like, we're coming back to San Diego Comic-Con because New York was kind of becoming the place where those big TV shows would, would get a spotlight because Hollywood was drowning them out. Um, you know, with a with the with the big blockbuster movies and in Hall H and stuff. So, yeah, um, it's it's funny. It's all big streaming services, man. It's Paramount Plus, HBO, it's the Amazon, it's Netflix. All the Hall H panels are like, even FX is technically Hulu, right? So it's like your old school. Like, there's no yeah. ABC panels. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it's all streaming. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, all right, guys. Well, so yeah, that'll do it for this week's episode of Podcast X. I am Ben Kendrick. You can follow me at Ben Kendrick. Check out uh, what I'm doing over at Rise at 7. Mr. Rob Keys. Hello. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys. That's K-E-Y-E-S. Uh, and you can check out our team's work on Screaming Collider and CBR. And I am Failcube on Twitch and Instagram. Mr. Kofi Outlaw. 
special guest. You can always find me, Kofi Outlaw. I'm the only Kofi Outlaw. I'm out there. I'm outside. You can find my work over at comicbook.com. I write for many of the channels over there in, you know, editorials. You can also find me hosting, doing the Ben Kendrick Act on my podcast, Comic Book Nation, which is uh, on your podcast platforms and stuff like that. And uh, it's the... uh, as people have pointed out, it's me when I'm on. This is me when I'm like off and half asleep. But people seem to like me when I'm off half asleep too. So like, I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, podcast X here I am. Nation there I am. You know, I'm around. Like I said, I'm outside. So Kofi Outlaw, hit me up. Awesome guys! If you can give us a review on your podcast provider of choice, we always appreciate it. Um, we will see you all next week. Oh. Oh man, I was really hoping we were going to get one of our classic, like, uh, at San Diego Comic Con episodes, which were always bananas. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, the in person ones. Actually, the Comic Con one will be not next week, but the week after. Yeah, maybe one maybe one day we'll tell the story of how we all ended up yelling at each other trying to record a podcast at Comic Con. I don't know if we've ever actually told that story outside of the the condo. Um, That would be maybe funny to revisit as well. Oh, yeah. um, that shit. Funny enough, that was uh, it was RoboCop that was the <laughs> the RoboCop reboot was the catalyst for that uh, that I argument. Was, I don't yeah. even remember that at Comic Con. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, have a great night, everyone. We'll uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>